It's always good to be back home after being on the road. We, we uh, spent time in uh, Pastor Autumn Stobal's church up in Manchester this last weekend ministering there. Uh, they, Autumn as well as Nicole and uh, Nathan told me to tell everybody they said hello. A lot, of, a lot of y'all are good friends of theirs and keep up with them on Facebook as well, I expect. And uh, it was good. We had a good, good uh, time of fellowship and ministry there. Then also we took care of uh, my son. He's, uh, he's had a, a medical procedure and is doing better. He's not quite through yet. They still have one more procedure. And, and he's going to be totally healed. And I, I appreciate everybody that has been praying uh, concerning that issue as well, too. So let's keep boring for him. And uh, body, soul, and spirit, we're just speaking healing over Daniel in the name of Jesus. And I did get to spend uh, quality time with one of the most beautiful grandchildren, granddaughters in the whole world. So that was Addie, and uh, spending time with her, and that was a real blessing. Uh, grandkids are definitely of God. Amen. Then we took a couple of days just to catch our breath in route coming back. We're going to continue with a uh, word that we started several months ago now. Dealing with a weapon of mass destruction and how God has provided for us for such a time as this. We are not without major league weaponry in this season, guys. We've got the goods, literally, to be able to do everything we need to do to uh, take the, the evil wickedness of this world directly head on. Not in the flesh, but in the spirit with the weapons he's given us, which are awesome, totally powerful. Now, in God's Word, there's several different things that are mentioned all the way through about confrontations. Y'all, y'all notice that? In fact, the Word is totally full of that. It goes back starting in the Garden of Eden, and it hasn't let up since. But in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 63, I'm going to start here. Then we're going to move into the, the Father's heart in just a moment. We're going to continue... The word now. This will be part two. Actually, this is part six of the series, but it'd be the second aspect of dealing with the the faithful father. And we talked about the orphanos, orphanos, depending on if you're speaking that with a new or the older version of Greek. Who are the orphans? Those that have separated themselves out, that are desolate, that are not walking in the fellowship and relationship with the father that they should be walking in. But here, let's, let's move back first into uh, the Old Covenant here in Isaiah 63, because this is current time type stuff right now. For the day of vengeance is my heart, verse 4, and the year of my redeemed is come. And this is important to understand the heart of the Father, who He is toward us, the relationship we can depend on, because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So He's not going to change. And if you'll notice here, and this is the pattern throughout God's Word. It says that there is a day of vengeance. We know that judgment and wrath will come on the ungodly. That's not being ordained for God's people. That's for the ungodly. Notice that says day. Everybody see that? Now, there are times and there are seasons that are only for a set period of time. That's why the prophetic words have been coming forth for, such, for this season we're in now are extremely important for us to heed those and prepare properly to walk through this in victory. We're going to get on the other side of this, and it doesn't have to all get worse before it's going to get better, and it never will get better. That's not what the Word teaches. 
What it comes down to is we are prepared to walk through if we heed what God's speaking. And the day of vengeance is coming in and all things on earth are being shaken in heaven and on earth right now. We know that that's part of this season that we're in. And going further here then, it says this. For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed is come. It says year there. That's a much longer period of time than the day of vengeance. So his blessings are going to be much greater and are going to be for a much longer period of time for us. Isn't that good? Now what does that reflect on? It's a direct reflection on the blessing that God is to us. His uh, default position, his reset, if you go in and do a default on uh, the factory reset on anything, whether it's the diesel engines or whether it's computers, it goes back to how they originally designed it to be. God's original place, when he barocked us in Genesis chapter 128, when he blessed us, that is it. He is a God who blesses. That's his heart. That's what he wants to do with every one of us, is to bless us and bless us and bless us and bless us and bless us over and over and over. That's his heart. That's the Father I love, that I serve, that I know. And that's what he wants to do with each and every one of us. Okay? So we get out of uh, his will. We take on to something called sin, and we step back away from him. He never leaves us. And at that point, we may remove ourselves from being able to receive some of those blessings. But he's always going to stay there. He's a faithful father, and he's waiting for us to come back around and draw us back into that place that he wants us to be in. Now, in verse 9, in all their affliction, and there are times we're going to be afflicted. There are times we're going to walk through tribulation. There are times that a, uh, uh, an election is being stolen. There are times that evil men are trying to overthrow the government to put everybody in, under tyranny and in, in bondage. This is not the first time this has happened. This is not God's first rodeo. This has happened continuously and consistently over the, the, the years worldwide. And it says, if all or in all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved him, or saved them. So putting that in, in uh, common English for us, in their adversity, God was not their adversary. So if you're in the middle of something right now, you're in a trial, you're in tribulation, it's a hard time, God, where are you? He's there with you. God, move. Show me what I've done wrong to put myself here. And sometimes it's not going to be something we've done. God is trying to work some rough edge off this vessel so that he can use us the way he wants to use us. Those will be there. But Satan is very real. He's an adversary. He's come to, to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's going to come against us if we don't understand who we are and that we're in the middle of a war. And that we've got to stand up and do what he's called us to do. But God's not the adversary for us. He's the adversary for the wicked. I wouldn't want to be there with him being my adversary, but he's not for the righteous and for those that love him. He says he holds us up in his love, he pities us, he redeems us, he bears us up and carries them all the days of old. And going down to verse 15, Father, look down from heaven and behold from your habitation thy holiness and thy glory. Where is the zeal, thy strength, the sounding of the, or the moving of the bowels of thy mercies toward me? So God's bowels move. Our bowels move. 
When bowels move, there's action, right? Everybody here, I know this is kind of gross, talking about this in, in uh, church service. Everybody in here has bowels. Anybody that doesn't have bowels, raise your hands. Okay, we're all there. And, and this, this is going to be a, a picture because this is important because the bowels were being stirred in Dana's heart and her, her spirit man today when she was born again. You see, there's, there's a, a reflection here of the way God's spirit moves in us. The house, the dwelling place of his Holy Spirit. When he gets in here and starts moving around and doing what he does, the bowels begin to move. There's a stirring that takes place in us. God wants us to be so full of his spirit right now in this season that we don't hinder that flowing out. That there's an overflow, unhindered, that he wants coming from us. I'm speaking that on you this Thanksgiving as you're around these loved ones that have been scattered. Don't cap it. Don't hinder it. Tell it like it is in the love. And I'm speaking the love of the Father. And I've already done that over everybody here. Well, they're going to discern that it's not about do's and don'ts. All this is about is the law of love, of loving them with the heart of the Father, of God himself. We know that love, don't we? If we're born again and have been walking with him for any amount of time, he is so good to us. Doubtless, thou art our Father. Here it is, the heart of the Father. Though Abraham be ignorant of us, and Israel knowledge us not, Thou, O Lord, art our Father, our Redeemer. So the Father is our Redeemer. He loves us. Now, a point of, you know, I could go back and review a lot of this that, uh, that we've gone through over the last several sessions in this about the blessings with Barak, the six meanings there, bowing the knee, saluting, mouth to mouth, speaking words of excellence. I do want to mention that. As, this week, as you speak forth, blessings, not curses, on those you come in contact with. Pray the blessings. Bind up the curses. But when you come in contact with these folks, let them know that God loves them, that there's a prosperity, there's a future, there's a hope for them as well. Making peace, causing to prosper. And then the seven blessings of Abraham when they came in. The pattern here, God blesses us by the bowing of the knee, saluting mouth to mouth with Barak. And then when we get into the, the second group of threes there, and that law of threes with, with Barak, we bless others. The same pattern is, is there in the, the seven bless, blessings of Abraham. Make you a nation. I'm going to bless you. I'll make you a great name. And then goes from there, and then we bless. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. You will be a blessing to the nations. And it goes on and on in that same pattern. God blesses us so we can be a blessing. God blesses us so we can be a blessing. God blesses us so we can be a blessing. Now everybody listen carefully because when we're in this warfare for such a time as this, this is current. This is something that uh, a, a Christian man who is a general said this recently. He said, it is time to put fear to the side. We, we dealt with that earlier today. And I want to encourage anybody, do not leave here today if you're still feeling any anxiety about what's going on in the culture. Do not, without us praying with you and ministering to you and get that off of you. It is time to put fear to the side and to understand that we are going to have to fight for our freedom. Now, what does that mean? That means to enter into prayer. It means to consecrate yourself, repent of all of your sin. It means to worship. It means to protect your families, being willing 
if we have to stand up to intruders and violent men trying to come against us to do what we need to do. That's what this means, literally. It means to be inspired and be encouraged. It means to understand that if we don't fight, we lose it all, perhaps including our lives right now. So we have a place we need to stand up, and this is the time God put us here. And then we have the priestly blessings that move on over and, uh, to God's Aaronic priesthood. And we, we talked about those before. But I, I want to go ahead and move on over here into John chapter 14, verse 8. We're going to talk about the orphan right now. James chapter 1, verse 27. really not what I was looking for right there. Bottom line is this. It's talking about a, a, a son being neglected. The Holy Spirit had, had been released, and Lord Jesus said he was going to release him. And he said, I'm going to send you a comforter. When I send that comforter to you, you're not going to any longer be an orphan. Orphan us. You will no longer be set apart and have that, uh, that stronghold of thought that you have no identity apart from Jesus loving him with his perfect love. And these, this could be inside the church, it could be somebody outside the church, either one. And then in James chapter 1, verse 27. These are points of review again before we get into the, the new thing here. The fresh thing. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless, the orphans, and widows in their affliction and keep himself unspotted from the world. Two spots are two places in God's word where this is used, this word orphanos in the New Testament. Old Testament, the equivalent of that would be a child that's destitute of comfort. It's a child that doesn't have any direction. It's a child that doesn't have any support as well. So let's flip on over into Luke chapter 15. We'll pick up where we left last time, uh, starting in verse 11. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. We know this is a, pro a parable of the prodigal. We know there were two sons and one faithful father. The two sons together come to a place, especially with the, the younger son provoking this event to take place. Neither of these sons respected their father. There was zero honor. That's direct violation of the fifth and the tenth commandments. Uh, we, we should be honoring our father and mother. Definitely, it's very clear there. And that's not just as we are children, but also especially as we get older and our parents have the gray hair and we grow up in the household and we're stepping in to become the sons, the primogenitor or one of the other sons in the family to take on the responsibilities we're supposed to take. And in, in the old oriental cultures, and it's still there today in many of those cultures, there was a son who was the oldest generally who would be the primogenitor. He would get the double portion of the blessing on the inheritance. 
the rest of the kids would get that other third that was left. And what they would do with that is, part of that would be for that older child, or adult by that time, for them to live on as their portion of it. And that other third would be primarily to help support mom and dad. And they would manage the, the, the family business, they would take care of everybody else spiritually, and they were responsible to take care of the needs of that father and that mother. Neither one of these sons seemed to have that concept down. In fact, what it literally means right here is the younger son said, Dad, it would be better if you were better for us if you were just dead. Because when they requested that inheritance early on, they were proclaiming something that was very disgraceful to their dad, that they valued that stuff a whole lot more than they did him. Now, God's got some good stuff for us, right? Everything, I mean, everything, he's good. That's his very nature that he wants to, us to move into. And a lot of times we don't realize just how good it is until we get there because of this thing called the flesh and how it operates in us. So now we see that both of these young men are takers. We see that one goes ahead and takes off of verse 13 through uh, 19, and he goes out in the world, and he just rejects his dad. Totally. He rejects the traditions. He rejects the moral ethics. He rejects everything and just takes off and goes in the opposite direction of God and gets out there serving the flesh. The older son, down in verse 25 on down to verse uh, 30, he ends up staying in the house. I'm going to tell you this, he stayed home, but he was just as much an orphan as that son that was out there in the world system because he was competitive, he was angry, he was mean, he was legalistic. And he did what he, he thought he had to do to work his way through this thing without coming into proper relationship with his father. And he was just as far removed from his dad as the young man that went out there in the world system. And we've talked about that in depth. Again, if you've not heard this session, it's go, go to the, the Fountain Gate uh, Media on YouTube and go back and review that. Because it, it's, it's very current, very relevant right here. So the father has to respond to these two guys. When he came in, the young son returns uh, in, in uh, verse 20. The, the older son was still in the house, but he was out in the field working. And he had to confront him. He had to confront the younger son. But let's look at how the father actually confronts here. How does he go about doing this? In verse uh, 31, first, this is the key. This is how this goes about. When you're dealing and ministering to our families, this is what we want to do. Verse 31, he said, son... You're ever with me. See, God never leaves us, forsakes us. He's always loved us. That's his very nature. And all I have is thine. So you go ahead and you give up all this junk that you're after. This thing called sin. The, the pursuit of mammon. Give that up. Lay it down. And he gives you everything that he has. You're going to be a son. You're going to be a daughter. You're going to be able to enter into full uh, sonship and relationship with him at this point. So that's going to be true of both of these uh, young men. But verse 20, this is going to go ahead and begin to set this into, into motion here, how we walk this out. And he arose and came to his father. This would be the young son. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. Now the connotation in the Greek here is not him standing up on a hill looking out in the distance physically. This is a a revelationary type manifestation of Holy Ghost. He's going in, he's praying. God, what did, I pray for that son to come home. I pray for that daughter to come home. I pray for him to get right with you. 
Holy Spirit begins to hover. He begins to move. He begins to, to open up the eyes to see and the ears to hear. All right, this is what this young person is dealing with right now. He puts his, his words in our mouth, his thoughts in our mind. And we begin to prophesy. We begin to pray. We begin to get cry out to God. God, move on this, this uh, brother of mine. I pray bondage broken off of him. Bring him out of that uh, addictions, God, that, that my daughter's in. God, bring home that uncle who's been out there for years, doesn't know you, God, is miserable and had uh, divorce after divorce after divorce. Whatever it, whatever it is, God will begin to show you, and you will begin to target that in prayer. And when you hammer it, you're going to be under the anointing of the Holy Spirit because you're going to be seeing what, what God's showing us. And he had compassion and ran. Okay, here we go. He had compassion and ran. He had compassion and ran. This word compassion, again, is the moving of the bowels. See, so Holy Spirit, when we start getting into this anointing, in this season, it's going to begin to pick up in us because it's going to have to. We're going to have to be sensitive to what Holy Spirit's doing with us. When he begins to move on us, there will be a stirring that will be here. There's an anointing that comes on us. We may be sitting down, we may be watching TV. When that stirring starts, do I just continue watching that Auburn-Alabama football game, or do I get up and begin to pray? When I'm walking down the street and there's a, a man sitting over here playing the guitar and singing, and we walk by him, and we get on down the road, the Holy Spirit begins to move and says, go back and, and minister to him. Are we going to be faithful to go do that? See, when the Holy Spirit begins to move in us this way, this, there's a moving of the bowels. And when the bowels move, there is going to be action. Everybody should say amen. If not, we know the other side of that. And actually, there are scriptures that indicate we certainly can shut the bowels off and not allow this to move us into the action God wants us to move into. It's called grieving Holy Spirit. So has anybody ever felt the Holy Spirit move like this that I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you have. Okay. Should be most everybody's hands should be up here. This is not an unusual thing for us. This should be the normal thing. We should be that sensitive to the Holy Spirit at all times to be ready to be used by Him. I'm going to go as far as to say this. These winds of preparation that have been prophesied over us are to get us ready to walk through some troubling times ahead of us. A season, perhaps. Part of that is going to be sensitive, Pastor Linda, to this moving here, to the point where we know when Holy Spirit tells us not to go down that street, that we don't go down that street. That we do not do the things we normally would do just because we're habitually doing it, but we're sensitive enough to Holy Spirit to know we've got to put off the old man, put on the new man, and walk where Jesus would have us to walk. Now, Jesus was moved the same way. He, he was moved with compassion, and he healed the sick. He was moved with compassion, and he went forth, and he saw the sheep as they were scattered, and he wanted to gather them in. He was moved in compassion multiple times to heal the blind, those just generally in healing, to feed the hungry, to raise the dead, to have the bowels to yearn, to feel sympathy, to feel pity, Moved with the compassion of the Father. That's what this is. That's the love of the Father in us. He's moving because he wants to touch them with his love. That's what this is. Pity or sympathy? It's not that. It's neither one of those. 
Uh, sympathy, we don't just have the feelings for that of a situation. We've all had those before when we see somebody that's in need. We may even carry this even to the point of empathy, which is seeing somebody and realizing, hey, I walked through that same thing where I lost my dad when I was younger, and I, I, I feel like I understand where you are. So I, I was sympathizing, but now it's something I can really feel because I've walked through it. That's not what this compassion is. This compassion is a download from Holy Spirit from the Father's heart directly in us who are possessors of His presence. Everywhere I walk, there should be a trail behind me of the Spirit of God where He's moved. Just like it with Jesus, those villages were emptied out of demonic presences. There were people healed everywhere He went. That's the destiny we have as His people for such a time as this. Because the shaking's going on. Hell is being shaken all over the place. We are not of hell. We are the, of the kingdom of God. Therefore, fear is not our partner. Faith is as we trust in Him to do what He says He's going to do. Some of us have seen some pretty tough times already in our life. Each time we go through those seasons where it's tough, that prepares us as we, we plug in with the Holy Spirit Continue to behold, even as Job beheld, even with all that he went through. When we get on the other side, we're going to be stronger. Remember the double portion, where did that come? It wasn't until he walked through and was faithful, right? That's the destiny we're walking in right now. So let's not lose sight in, the, in these troublous times of what God is doing in us. Compassion brings action. In the process, that's an application of agapio. The human spirit is touched by Holy Spirit, and it causes us to move into action. Barak is required. Barak is bowing the knee to the living God, spending time with him, and then he's going to just load, give us the download of his presence, his mercy, his compassion will be on us. Remember, in your adversity, God is not your adversary. He is for us. He is not against us. He is with us. He is in us. He's around us. He goes before us. He's behind us. He is one who wants me to co-labor with him. And he provides all the way through on the, everything, every part of this. Every part of this. So let's, see, let's look further here and just see how Father, Spirit, it begins to move us. So the heart of the Father, the heart of God begins to move on us. All right, we, the revelation knowledge needs to be there. We're seeking God. The compassion, he begins to well that up within us, his love for that individual. Notice compassion leads to running. The action starts coming. He actually begins to see this son coming home. And when he receives him, he goes up to him and said, I told you not to go out and do that, that you're going to lose everything you had. You should have repented years ago. You know, I don't want to have anything to do with you. How would you feel if that happened? Yeah, it wouldn't feel very good, would you? How many of us grew up with that? Perhaps we were taught that by some relatives, maybe even our parents, perhaps some siblings. You'll never amount to anything. Look at what happened here. You just blew it all. No, that's not what the Father's heart is right here. It's not that at all. In fact, as you see here, he goes over and grabs him and he, he hugs him. This was somebody who lost everything. He had been in a pigsty, literally. He came home with the clothes on his back, and that was it. 
He was covered with the mud from being in that pen and taking care of feeding those pigs. He stunk. He was nasty. The dad grabs a hold of him anyway and kisses him. He says, yeah, I love you, son. It's so good to see you. And then the son saw him, or said to him, verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called your son. Everybody listen. This is the proper heart for a prodigal when they come home. They come home, they're naked. They got them clothes like this guy's for the children. But there, there, there are no expectations. There are no limitations. There are no boundaries that they try to set when they come in. They're coming in totally at, at the, the volition of the father allowing them to come back into the relationship. You name what I've got to do. You show me what I need to do here. And here he says he's coming back in to be, uh, not even be called his son, but just to be a servant. Let me just do that. But you know something that happens here. The father interrupts him. That's what the, in the Greek it says, he cut his son off from speaking. Basically what he was doing was, you're, you're defining yourself of where you were. We'll put, we're going to take the, the steps right here, right now. We're going to put off the old man we're going to take you from where you were, and now we're going to put the new man on you, and I'm going to walk with you because I'm walking in the Father's heart for you, you see. So we begin to reach the hand out. And when we do this with the Father's heart, this is not a quick fix. This is going to be a lifetime relationship endeavor. It's not do's and don'ts. It is a relationship that we begin to walk out. Does this make any sense? I've sinned against heaven in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called your son. Father cuts him off and says, Bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat. The banqueting table. Relationship with Jesus. Being an overcomer, by the way. If you go over in Revelation chapter 3, you'll see that. He begins to teach as he begins to, to enter into this relationship with him. First thing it calls uh, this, putting a robe over them. And here, in this case, it says bring the best robe. That would be the robe that the father wears in the house. You see, he's the one that has the honor there. It's, like, it's similar to the, the robe that was given to Joseph that was a robe of honor, just to, to bring that back as an as example of this. Well, there are five types of robes that are listed in the Bible. Three of these are not what we want to try to throw on somebody else. It's a covering we put on. It's a way to recognize somebody's the way they dress, you see. So the first type of robe is the robe of sorrow. And they, I've got scripture references to these. These are the ones that list in the Word. These will be the, the robes of past failures. I mentioned this earlier that Job tore his garment from his loss and from his sorrow. Of course, God had a different robe for him to wear in replacement of that. We need to give these prodigals, these people coming back in, whether they're in-house or out-house, give them room to repent. We need to stand against the accuser of the brethren who will continually bring back to them this remembrance of what they walked through and try to keep them from growing to, to fully move into sonship. Remember, our past will separate us from the love of God. Go back and look at the scripture where it talks about everything that will not separate us from the love of God. Our past is not a part of that list. Our past will separate us. 
So we need to help them to overcome this, accept them for who they are and where they are right now, and help them to go forth and to put on the new man and to walk with that instead of the old man. Second robe, the robe of religiosity. Well, God, son, I'm glad you're back. I want you to, to, to make a commitment, be in church every Sunday. We're going to have a Bible study. I want you up at 7 a.m. We're going to go and just start doing the bullet points. You're going to tithe plus 15%. Uh, just lay it all out. And by doing this, you're going to be totally righteous. That's how we do it, right? We earn our way into heaven by being good enough, right? Don't tell your kids that either when you're raising them up. You better be good or the devil's going to get you, son. That's, that's not what we need to be teaching. The robe of religiosity, that's a present denial. That's walking in righteous self-pity, being a Pharisee, loving the law, not the law of love. It's legalistic. Oh, it could be emotionalism. It could be emotion-based. We've got to be careful, parents. Don't try to put on them what we've struggled walking in our lives all these years. We want to put the Jesus in them. We want to put Jesus and the love of God on them. Competitive jealousy could be a part of this. Could be a number of things. So we've got the robe first of sorrow or the robe of religiosity. The third type of robe would be the robe of cynicism or mockery. You know, in this case, this, a picture of that was the, the scarlet robe that the Romans put on Jesus when he was hanging on the cross or about, about, about to go on the cross right before that. They were mocking him. Well, they, essentially what this comes down to, we do not trust that person. They've had this pattern in the past. Now they're moving in and coming back in. How can I trust them? You know, it's going to be very difficult, honestly. If this person's been out running around in adultery or whatever, it's going to be, be very difficult to trust them. It's something that's going to be earned over time. But the heart of the Father is such that he looks beyond that because the blood of Jesus covers it. He begins to accept that person where they are as they begin to walk this out. And maybe we'll keep that in the back of our mind. Okay, they came from here. But over time, I'm going to give you an opportunity to prove yourself, to walk this out, to be faithful, to show that you've overcome these things that you were in out here. We've got to give them place to grow. We've got to give them the opportunities that even, they may stumble some in there, but their, their heart is going to be to move on to become the man or the woman of God that God is, has for us to walk in. Now, how many of us that have the gray hair after we got saved stumbled? Raise your hands. I, I wouldn't. I never stumbled, right? Yeah, we all did, right? But when we stumbled, God was sitting up in heaven. He's got this big fly swatter. He said, aha, Terry, I got you now. Is that what he did? No, 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 no. He says, okay, Holy Ghost, go get her. Conviction starts setting in. Tender, gentle, but firm. You cannot keep going like this. It's time to repent. And the Father's going to be there waiting for us to come back. He always is. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. That's the way we have to be. As we reach out, this is an endeavor of a lifetime, perhaps, with these individuals. But we don't want to walk in mockery. This is, mockery, by definition, is an absurd misrepresentation of a person 
are a thing. What will come forth from that will be contempt in our language and the way we act to them. We can't do that. We've got to accept these people when they come in for who they are and where they are. So we have the robe of sorrow, the robe of religiosity, and the robe of cynicism. Now there are two robes or top robes that we do need to put on them. We need to, to bring them to a place of, of righteousness. And that is the first robe here that we do want to put on them. The robe of righteousness. Restore one back to the divine. That ministry of reconciliation, what it literally means. Restore one back to the divine. The place of honor in the family. What was lost will be now returned. Repent and convert. Teach them to repent. And not only to repent, that means to turn away from something, but to convert means to turn towards something. Your purpose, your delight, my son, from this point, I'm going to help you begin to understand this, is to not pursue yourself and the things of self, but it's going to be to pursue the living God and to seek Him first with everything that you have in your heart. And all these things will be added to you. I'm going to teach you this. And begin to point them that way. The second type of positive robe that we need to put on them is the robe of the redeemed. You're forgiven. Your sins are over with. Now you can forget your past. Don't remember it now, but do not be in bondage to that because that's not who you are any longer. And see, that's the key here for them to understand who they no longer are or actually who they actually are and who they're becoming is they're going to have to renew their minds. How many of us were told you go to church on Sunday and you be there, get saved, and you're going to be okay. That's what, I, I grew up in a, a church like that. Nobody ever told me that you need to be transformed through the renewing of your mind. That you need to be putting off the old man, put on the new man, become more daily like Jesus himself. Begin to think like he thinks. Begin to feel like he thinks. Begin to see like he sees. Begin to hear and listen like he hears. That's what the heart of God is. That's the dynamics of the kingdom. It's called sanctification. And if we leave that off, we'll never become anything but a burping baby that needs to be nursed out of our life in the spirit realm. And we'll wonder, why, we'll look around and say, these people are getting blessed over here. Why don't you bless me? You don't love me, God. While all the time, the heart of the Father is right there looking at you and said, son, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. You've got to get rid of this stuff up here. Then I can bless you because I'm your father. And that's who I am. I'm the source of your blessings. Every good gift that comes from above, it's going to flow right into us. It's going to be blessings after blessing. Robe of the redeemed is priceless. Our cost is to die to our own righteousness, take off our filthy rags, and then begin to renew our minds and grow into Him. Okay, so this make any sense now? We've talked about the robe so far. So we've got the second thing here that we need to put on them would be, in verse 22, put a ring on his hand. A ring on his hand. Now the ring was not something in this culture that was put on the fingers. That was not until you generally, historians teach it was much later. This was a signet. It wasn't a ring, but it had a seal on, on one end of it or one side of it. And they would wear it around their neck. And y'all seen in the movies what they do with the seals where they get uh, a document and put the wax on there and they, they get that seal and put on there. We see that primarily dealing with authority. An uh, example of that in God's Word would be Pharaoh gives to Joseph his seal where he could go out and do anything that needed to be done through the delegated authority of the head. Uh, and Esther 
You see that same thing given to Haman and later to Mordecai. It's implied there were Mordecai. But definitely was given to Haman in passing some laws. In James 2, it talks about this being a symbol of wealth and prosperity. We reestablished the authority as a son in them. And we all do walk in authority as we're seated at the right hand of God with Jesus. And we get our identity in Him. As we're renewing our minds, we begin to understand who we are in Jesus. That I, everything is related to my relationship in Him. Not do's and don'ts, but in Him. And there's, it's, uh, there's some other things here. I'm going to move right on down because authority is going to be the main thing here with the ring. But with the shoes, that was the next thing. The shoes. He came home barefooted, which meant he was in mourning. He was in bondage. He was in slavery. That's what that symbolized. So when the shoes were put on him, it was to recognize him coming back in as a son. And this is symbolic of carrying the gospel of the kingdom. It's also symbolic of, in this, in this case, we didn't see that here, but it's just as, as uh, true of a picture. Uh, several times we see men and women of God Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. That signified a drastic shift in that person's life and destiny. And that's part of what's going to happen here as we begin to restore this person back. And that relationship. Okay? Verse 23, And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat. Let us eat. Diakonos comes in here on serving. Or diakonio would be in the... Uh, the root there in the Greek. Basically, the father saw to it that his son was served, that he was fed. Took him to the banqueting table. I want to introduce you to Jesus. I want you to understand the blood, the wine, how it's a necessity for us to drink and to walk with the blood of Jesus in our life. I want to introduce you to the stripes he took, to his flesh, what he sacrificed for us in salvation and what it means. You see, as you begin to become more and more like Jesus, you'll begin to apply these principles, and you will truly become an overcomer. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. Hell will fear you. Hell knows who you are already, many of you. And there's a lot of other things we could get into here, but discipleship. Minister to them. Teach them. Feed them. Correct them. Protect them. Again, I said earlier, this is a long-term endeavor when the heart of the Father is moving on you to reach out to this person. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have to do it all because you've got a lot of support here in this church, right? When we're reaching out to these people, this is going to be the place to, to bring you in to, to help with a lot of these things. Okay? So let's, let's get our charts. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a new chart. Let's just do it that way. I gave you all this a few weeks ago, months ago. I have colorized this now. And uh, we're going to look this. I hope that's enough of them right here. Okay, you want to give these out? Let's give out one to her family, and we give out extras if you want to at that point. Did I leave any more over there here yet, or I'll bring them up? We're going to go down this again, and you know, it was interesting when we went over this the first time, and we just talked about the heart of an orphan. And I, I had several people say something to me like, 
I'm walking you in this. You didn't give us any answers. Well, today I'm giving you the answers. That's what this is. I'm walking this out. How to minister this to somebody. How to come out of this junk yourself and enter into the relationship with the Father that he wants us in. Everybody have a copy so far over here? Okay. Give a few more minutes. Okay, every, every family has at least one. Maybe some over on the other side and be there. Now this is color-coded this time. The first co- uh, copy I gave you, as you'll notice, was just black and white. But each one of these colors represents one of these elements that we bring in as when the heart of the Father is on us and we're ministering this. The yellow here, which would be the, the top line dealing with the image of God. And then as you go on down, you've got a section there on the expression of love, the sense of God's presence, condition, position. All those deal directly with his compassion. God is love. He's absolute love. That's what I minister to others. He knows our suffering. He's running to us and he's provided for us. His sympathy, his pity, his empathy. We are son. We are not a servant. So we see here on the top line, dealing with the image of God on that middle column, it says that an orphan mindset will see God as a master. But we see here, literally with the, the heart of a son when it comes on us, we begin to see God as our loving father. He does love me. He does love me. I don't have to earn this. I don't have to be good enough to do this. Now that doesn't give me a license to sin. It just removes all that heavy lifting off of me, and it means I can move right on into it because of his provision. The expression of love. As an orphan's mindset, I'm guarded and I'm conditional with everybody. In fact, I don't even love myself if I've got an orphan spirit on me. But here, it's open, it's patient, it's affectionate. As I understand that he just takes me for who I am and where I am, and he's provided for me already everything I need. He loves me. It's unconditional. And I love him the same way. And now I begin to be empowered, you see, through that love that I have with him to where I can present that horizontally to other people where I never could do that before because I'd be standoffish and defensive and would not be open to anybody really seeing what was in here. We all, you all remember what I taught on on the mask, right? We all have those masks that we put on to cover up what's really in here. Sense of God's presence, conditional and distant as, uh, as an orphan, but it's close and intimate. Sometimes some of the things God tells me, is they are so funny. God has a sense of humor. I'll be in the middle of something, and, and I'm serious about it, and he'll, he'll drop something in my spirit, and I'll start laughing. And I say, yeah, I didn't see that one coming, God. There's a joy, unlimited overflowing joy in his presence and that intimacy we walk in with him. Condition of an orphan is in bondage. I have perfect liberty when I'm walking in sonship and proper relationship with the father. My position is not a servant. It is a son. As a son, I'm walking in what he's called me to do with my life. I am one of the, the primogenitor. I am stepping in and I'm managing the, uh, the overall estate for my father and stewardship for him. 
That's who I've understood over the course of the years. It took me a long time to understand it. But now, there's perfect liberty in this. It's not something I have to earn. Does this make any sense here? Come on. All right. Going further with the robes. Insecure. Under security. Need for approval. Motive for service. The motive behind Christian disciplines. The motive for purity. Self-image. Source of comfort. Peer relationships. Handling others' faults. All those come down to being able to walk at a place of that robe of righteousness and the, the, the robe of uh, redemption that I walk in. Not sorrow, not a religious spirit, not mockery. Because you see, God's for me. He's not against me. He sees me having great value. He says that in his word. And I'm very, very valuable to him. And then we'll go ahead and look at the ring here. Put that on. That's the seal of authority, a favor of power. God in me. The Holy Ghost is in me. To live by the law or the love of law, of theology, the green up here at the top. But as a son... I live by the law of love, relationship. Then view authority and admonition. I see authority as a source of pain as an orphan. And I, I, it's difficult for me to receive correction if I have an orphan min- mindset or spirit on me. On the other side, though, as a son, I'm respectful. I'm honoring. You see, uh, our authority is a minister of God for my good and for my life. And then when I receive and in a given admonition of correction, I receive that knowing that there's something better that God has out there for me than what I'm walking in right now. It all goes hand in hand together. And then we have the, the pink here will be um, the shoes, a walk of faith, readiness to serve, protection. Perhaps a, a path uh, that God has ordained for me to walk in is my destiny. God with me, a hope and a future, with a vision and a future here. All these come into play. All these are part of what comes in the, the Father and that Father's Spirit pouring out through us and in us. I've got a place. God loves me. He's with me. He's not against me. Amen?